Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, for our pre-election extravaganza. Uh, we're going to condense everything we can about the upcoming election, or the ongoing election, I should say, uh, into 30 minutes this morning. And I'm pleased to have with us Haley Sofer, who is the Executive Director of the Jewish Democratic Council of America, a veteran of the Bush and Obama administrations, having also served as a congressional aide to Kamala Harris, who is our, the Democratic vice presidential nominee. Uh, Haley, welcome to SPIN class. Thanks for having me. Great. So, uh, you know, in the short amount of time that we have, uh, I want to offer you the opportunity to talk about why uh, you believe uh, Joe Biden or Biden-Harris ticket is the best choice uh, for the country or the best, and the best choice for the Jewish community. Absolutely. I actually think it's really the only choice for the Jewish community. Uh, when you compare the records and commitment of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to everything that truly matters in terms of Jewish values, um, whether it is support of Israel, and no one has a longer or stronger record when it comes to defending Israel's interests than Joe Biden, who has been working on these issues for almost 50 years in the Senate and as vice president, um, or any other issue, frankly, that's driving the Jewish vote, access to affordable health care amid the worst public health crisis of our history, uh, the rise of hatred and division and bigotry and white nationalism that is no doubt been emboldened by President Trump, um, you know, the effort to uh, combat white nationalism. Um, you know, this is, this is really an inflection point for our country and for our community. Uh, there are two very different paths forward with President Trump and uh, or uh, Joe Biden, and the choice could not be more clear. Um, and the message really is that no one, especially Jewish voters, no one has to compromise in this election. No one has to choose a candidate because of whatever you think their views are on Israel uh, or, you know, and, and choose between that and what you consider to be consistent with Jewish values. With Joe Biden, you have both. You have someone who has consistently uh, not only been legislating, but also led on so many issues that are consistent with our values and has a pro-Israel record. And Donald Trump truly in the past four years has been the antithesis, has epitomized the antithesis of our values. Um, just yesterday on the two-year anniversary of the worst anti-Semitic violent attack in our history, the Tree of Life Synagogue massacre, uh, the response of these two candidates could not have been more different. Joe Biden had numerous uh, statements that he put out, including an op-ed expressing solidarity with the Jewish community, mourning those lost, and reaffirming his commitment to combating the rise of hatred and anti-Semitism, which we know actually inspired his run for president and his desire to restore the soul of our nation. Donald Trump, by contrast, yesterday said absolutely nothing about the two-year anniversary of Pittsburgh and instead had three rallies where he incited anger and hatred among his supporters directed at, frankly, a, a whole host of characters, including Michigan's governor. But, you know, it, um, the contrast could not be a difficult choice for Jewish voters. So what do you say to those voters who are thinking about what has transpired over the last couple months vis-a-vis -vis 
Israel and the Gulf states and uh, the hope for peace uh, between Arab countries and Israel, the first peace treaty in, uh, in decades, um, his aggressive stance towards Iran, which is contrasted with uh, the previous administration. I mean, those types of uh, arguments have been made or that are being made uh, as saying that, you know, after all that, um, Donald Trump has accomplished this foreign policy objective. Well, the opening of diplomatic relations between Israel and frankly, any countries uh, is a positive thing. Nobody is questioning that. Uh, but as with everything Donald Trump has done, it's pretty clear that he, he has done this to further his political agenda just weeks before the election. Uh, even in his the latest effort, which was last week, uh, creating an opening between Israel and Sudan, which again, on, on the face of it, is a positive thing, he politicized it by pushing Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu to denigrate Joe Biden on the phone in front of cameras. Um, he always makes everything yeah, Netanyahu didn't take the bait on that one. Agenda. He didn't, but he was still on camera. The, the call was on camera. And, you know, it epitomized how Donald Trump sees everything through his own self-serving political lens. Just like he said, he moved the embassy in Israel for the evangelicals, right? It's a political calculation in his view and his mind. So while diplomatic openings are good, uh, not everything Donald Trump does is uh, driven by his vision of peace. It's his vision for getting reelected. And frankly, not everything he's done has been in Israel's interest either. You, you call it an aggressive policy with regard to Iran. I call it a, a, a completely flawed policy that has now left the United States isolated and not Iran. He pulled out of that nuclear agreement, which while, uh, while some may not agree that it was uh, the best agreement, certainly was better than having no agreement. Because two years later, here we are with Iran moving back toward its nuclear development and the U.S. is isolated. We are unable to do anything about it. We tried to reimpose sanctions. We are isolated at the United Nations. We tried to reimpose an arms embargo. No other countries would come along with us with the exception of one. And we are now isolated and Iran is moving back toward having a nuclear weapon and we have no policy to counter it, no effective policy. So that's not in Israel's interest, nor has been, um, nor has been uh, Donald Trump's policy to withdraw troops from the region in northern Syria, which has left a vacuum for Iran to exploit on on Israel's northern border. Um, so I wouldn't say his policy with regard to Israel has been great. Uh, another flaw, I would say, has been the facilitative military edge by offering a quid pro quo for these so-called peace agreements, which are really just the opening of diplomatic relations, because he has pushed Israel to accept, in the case of UAE, the sale of uh, of advanced weapons in the form of uh, fighter jets that that they weren't willing to accept at the outset uh, to the UAE F-35s. And when they were proposed more recently in the past few days for Qatar, Netanyahu finally put his foot down and said, no, we are not going to accept that. So right. with the so, Haley, Trump I, administration, just, we know behind the scenes there are a lot of concerns. 
So in the interest yeah. of time, I just want to ask you a last question. How, how do you tailor your message to an Orthodox community that seems increasingly skeptical of the Democratic Party's uh, commitment to Israel uh, with a you know, left flank or progressive flank that has been kind of outspoken in, um, in, in some would say, against Israel? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, our, our message to the Orthodox community is no different than our message to anyone else. Uh, obviously, we know the Orthodox community is not monolithic, and uh, there are lots of different views, and we've heard a lot of important Orthodox voices come out in the past week saying that, uh, that the community should be supporting Joe Biden uh, based on kind of a va Jewish values-driven message. Um, but when it comes to Israel, I... I I, I would say to look at the facts and not the spin. And the facts are that the Democratic Party adopted a pro-Israel platform at our convention that demonstrates Joe Biden's commitment to Israel's security and reaffirms his commitment to the 10-year, uh, $38 billion uh, military aid agreement. There's no question that he's committed to Israel's security. You don't have to choose between Jewish values and support of Israel, because with Joe Biden, you have both. Okay, Haley Sofer, the Executive Director of the Jewish Democratic Council of America. Thank you very much uh, for making time during the busy campaign season to join us here on Spin Class. We hope to have you back after election. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, this is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and I'm pleased to welcome back Jeff Balaban, who is a, or has been, an advisor to many Republican presidential candidates, and, as, including Donald J. Trump for president uh, 2016 and 2020. Uh, Jeff, welcome back to Spin Class. Really glad to be here with you, Michael. Okay, so Jeff, this is our pre-election extravaganza, uh, and uh, you know we may be preaching to the choir out there, although, you know, look, there's no, there's no way to tell how people uh, are going to vote once they get into election day. And there are certain people out there in the audience who probably already have cast their vote, but uh, we can all appreciate the accomplishments of this administration vis-a-vis -vis the Jewish people, vis-a-vis -vis Israel, vis-a-vis -vis Middle East politics. I think they're numerous, uh, but they probably should be enumerated once again. So as the attorney that I know that you are, or once were, uh, how would you make a closing argument on behalf of Trump 2020? Well, I didn't realize it was going to be called to make a closing argument because uh, make an opening argument. That's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's fine. And 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 you're right. Thank God. It's uh, it does feel like preaching to the choir in our community. And uh, I would say there are really two aspects to address. It's not simply that Donald Trump has more than earned our vote and our support in every way possible, very publicly. It's also that what what Donald Trump is running against is disastrous for America generally and for the Jews specifically. And so even if Donald Trump were not as spectacularly pro-Jewish, as spectacularly good for America, as spectacularly good for Israel, as spectacularly good for peace and the economy and religion, and etc., it would be enough simply to vote against what's running against him. I want to address that briefly, and then we'll get back to Trump himself. For those who have not taken a look at the Democrats' platform in 2020, right? Every four years, parties put forth political platforms which set out their policies. 
this year, the Republicans re-upped the 2016 platform, which I had the pride and privilege of being involved in uh, drafting the, the Israel language in that platform, together with uh, David Friedman and Jason Greenblatt and, and, and a couple of others. And uh, it was hailed by Donald Trump as the most pro-Israel platform in history, and it is the most pro-Israel platform in history. It, it, it helped chart the course, I think, for the uh, official policies towards Israel. If you contrast that to the Democrats' 2020 policies on Israel, they're disastrous. First, they make a comment about anti-Semitism, the same way Linda Sarso makes comments about anti-Semitism, to point to it where it doesn't exist or where it's not really a threat as a way of diverting attention from where it does exist and it is a threat. Then they talk about Israel where, in the words of James Zogby, certainly no friend to Israel or the Jews. He pointed out to Code Pink, a radical anti-Israel, anti-Jewish organization, that the Democrat platform language on BDS, on the Boycott, Divestment, Sanction movement, is actually the same as if the Republicans were to say, oh, we're, we oppose abortion, but obviously every woman gets to choose. He said it's a total nullification. They, they, they make language where they say, well, we don't like any anti-Semitic aspects of BDS, but of course the rest of their policy supports BDS. So we have to recognize that they're, 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 what we're up against here is not just anti-Israeli policies under Biden, but he is, he is committed to policies that I would say clearly cross the line into anti-Semitic. For example, even today, Joe Biden and the Democrats are committed to, to going back to the idea that a Jew who wants to live in Jerusalem, in the old city of Jerusalem, is an international criminal. And not only an international criminal, but is the reason that there is a lack of peace in the Middle East. Trump has proven the opposite, and they're going right back to that. They're insisting on it. So we're up against things. I encourage people to look at the Democrats' platform on Israel to read it closely, see through the language, recognize that Biden still stands with 2334, which is the UN resolution that he helped push. Right? There's evidence that he helped twist Ukraine's arm. And if we think about that now, we recognize what the relationship between Biden and Ukraine was. That Biden was chosen to call in Ukraine to force them, to threaten them, to go against Israel and the UN. And he did it. And, and to criminalize Jews living in Judea and Samaria. So that's what they, that's what they are. And that's not, I'm not talking about the anti-Semitic wing of the party. I'm talking about the Joe Biden moderate wing of the party. That's what they've endorsed. Up against that, we have Donald Trump. Donald Trump, somebody just today put together a list of the 100 great things Donald Trump has done for Israel. It's an endless list. The point is, it's almost impossible to make this closing argument, Michael, because we could be here for days and we only have minutes. Donald Trump has supported Israel, not just in word, but in deed. Everyone in the world knows that Donald Trump, and therefore America, stands with Israel. He is, they, 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 he's, he's far from being an isolationist, which some people feared. He has kept America out of wars, but he has beaten down the terrorists, and he has let Israel take charge of its own security in a way that was unimaginable before him. Israel has thrived because of him. And today we're seeing, contra all those people who push this nonsense narrative that it's all about Israel causing problems and the, and the Jews in Judea and Samaria being the, the, the settlers being the issue, he's shown that Israel is the solution to the Middle East strife, not the problem Middle East strife. And we see today, and, and, and I'll just say this one more thing, I'd like to get a word in. It's extraordinary what we see today. Not, it's not just the diplomatic peace which costs Israel, it, it, like with Israel, with uh, Jordan and Egypt, which costs Israel and is cold. You see the warmth 
coming out of the Arab countries who are desperate for a true relationship of friendship with the Jewish state. And that is all thanks to Donald Trump. Okay, so one thing I, I would like you to comment on is that the Republican Party, and this was not always the case, is seems to be entirely unified when it comes to Israel issues. And perhaps you could say, because obviously evangelical Christians are so significant, the force of the party, um, perhaps you could say they're, they're, there's just a natural affinity towards Israel. But, you know, can you just describe, and you know, relatively quickly, because I know we're, you know, we're not, uh, uh, you, you know, this is kind of a pre-election wrap-up. Um, you know, how, how would you describe the Republican Party in general, uh, vis-a-vis Israel, even during your career, how that has changed? Well, you're raising an important question because, and, and we'll put a pin in not getting into religious liberties, which Trump also stands for, but back to Israel and the Republican Party. You know, it's not just a presidential election, as you know, control of the, of the Senate, especially, and possibly the House, is also a matter for this election. Uh, and it is vital, it is absolutely vital that Republicans maintain control of the Senate, and it would be wonderful if we could take the House. And and by the way, ignore the polls you're, you're seeing. I'm saying this to the public. The polls are nonsense, absolute nonsense. They're generated by the same people who've been lying about Donald Trump all along. It's necessary to keep the Senate. It's vital to keep the Senate because the, it's important to show them they're being rewarded for supporting Israel. And the fact is the Republican Party for a very long time at the grassroots has, has really wanted this exact same platform. When we put this language in, they embraced it. It was passed unanimously. We got rid of the language that demanded that America stand for Palestinian self, uh, self-realization as a state and, 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 and focused only on a two-state solution. And we instead said, no, we stand with Israel. They are our ally. They are sovereign. This is what the party stands with. If Israel decides it's important to create a second state, for, uh, another state for, for Arabs in, in, in Judea and Samaria, that's Israel's business. And the Republicans will begrudgingly possibly stand with it, but they won't love it. But they'll stand with it because they'll stand with Israel as a sovereign state. But what's happened for decades, and Donald Trump stopped this, and the Republicans agree, this is what they put in their uh, platform before Donald Trump became president. Uh, But in 2016, is that our focus is supporting our ally, and our focus is on peace and not dictating to Israel that the only option is to force a Palestinian PLO terror state. That's been the obstacle to peace. We need to keep the Senate Republican for that, to protect our, our religious liberties. Uh, the, the, the Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett is vital to protect our liberties. And without the Republican Senate, that never would have happened. We now have a true conservative majority in the court, which is the only thing standing against the majority's tyranny against our religion. Okay, last question for you, Jeff. And uh, I apologize for making you keep it brief. Uh, let's just give around numbers. Let's say an estimated 75% of non-Orthodox Jews will vote for Biden and 75% of Orthodox Jews or perhaps more will, will vote for Trump. Uh, what do you see as that, the implications or the ramifications of that bifurcation of the vote, of the Jewish vote? This is, uh, I've actually written extensively about this. Um, if I can suggest people to look at, there's a piece in Mosaic, a, a long piece in Mosaic uh, that I wrote that's online about how to think politically about Jews. I had a shorter piece recently online called Donald Trump will win the Jewish vote, where I described the fact that, and I'll say this simply, we have, we have tremendous confusion in America because the word Jew is used to mean two things. Whereas we have Irish who are Catholics, but there's an Irish 
demographic and a Catholic demographic. The Irish demographic is, is votes one way and the Catholic demographic votes another way. We have the same thing with Jews. The problem is we use the same word to mean someone who comes from Jewish extraction and someone who votes on Jewish issues. Those who vote on Jewish issues overwhelmingly vote for Donald Trump. Those who say openly, we do not vote on anything Jewish. We vote on just progressive issues, will overwhelmingly vote against the Jewish issues and vote against Donald Trump. It is a long-term disaster for Jews that we, that, we, that we are dividing, but we need clarity. It's a cancer, but if we can't see this cancer for what it is, we don't diagnose it, it's going to kill us. Okay, very, very well. Thank you, Jeff Balaban, uh, a uh, advisor to many Republican candidates for president, including Donald J. Trump of 2016, 2020. Michael, one more thing. Yes. Hey, yeah. hey, New Yorkers, New Yorkers, New Jersey, whoever it is, don't think your vote is not important because you don't live in a so-called swing state. The visuals, the optics of Jews, proud Jews going out and voting is so necessary for our lives in this country. Get out and vote. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't. It 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 does matter who you vote for, but the fact that you vote as well, nobody will know who you vote for. But you must vote, no matter how you think. You do not sit this one out, even if you don't feel that your vote might not count. Uh, being not in a swing state. Uh, absolutely, Jeff, very important message for our community. And no question, if you don't vote, uh, you don't count. And it's actually really, literally true. So thanks for joining us here on Spin Class, Jeff. Uh, we'll be, uh, we'll, hopefully you'll join us again to unpack the election uh, in the uh, coming weeks. That'd be great, my friend. All the best. All the best. This is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and I'm pleased to welcome back after a multi-year hiatus, Lori Litwack, the executive director of the Teach Coalition, a national advocacy group on behalf of our yeshivas and day schools, and a longtime observer and practitioner of uh, politics and advocacy. Maury, welcome back to Spin Class. I'm glad to be back. We always talked and ran in each other, and I said I was going to be, be, be back anytime. And I have no COVID excuses for not being here. I just, we just didn't, didn't schedule it. Well, here we are. So, uh, so the pre-election extravaganza, pre-election palooza, I, Maury, I, I asked you here not to talk about Biden, not to talk about Trump, but to talk about the Jewish vote and the Jewish vote around the country and where it matters. There are a lot of people out there in swing states that do matter, but there are a lot of people out there in the swing states and they, non-swing states, and they look at it and say, maybe their vote doesn't matter so much. So what's your message for them and how do you motivate them to get out to the polls, uh, knowing that the, in every election there's a lot at stake? Well, right. Let's look at, let's just look at, let's pick four states, okay? And let's look at the, these four states. So let's look at New York, New Jersey, Florida, and Pennsylvania, okay? Now, New York and New Jersey uh, have the, the largest yeshiva day school population in the country, which is a good barometer for, I think, the from vote in general. Uh, Florida has the fourth largest, um, and Pennsylvania, I believe, has the eighth or ninth. So that's, that's still probably basically in the top ten. And uh, you look at these four, and uh, let's just break them down. Florida, if you live in Florida, we all know that's a swing state, Michael. You'd agree that's a swing state, right? You live, in Ohio. you live in Ohio, it's a swing state also. Uh, but believe it or not, um, we find that people have either not registered to vote uh, or they haven't voted in a long time. And so we have to explain to them the, not just the mechanics of the process, especially uh, in a year like this, but also the fact that, they, that there is not to forget about the election, uh, which believe it or not, people do, do this. And the best example of that, even in the swing states, 
because uh, Michael, you and I don't live in the swing states. Even in the swing states, uh, we know that there's not 100% turnout. So if the turnout is 40% or 50% or 60%, which is really great, we're still left wondering, um, you know, a minion is 10 people. So why did those three people not vote? Why did those four people not vote? And that will happen. And so that one's an easy given, we get it. But then what about if you're in New York or New Jersey? So what we talk a lot about to people and educate them on is the fact that there's all these downstate ballots um, and there's all these local elected officials and you've been involved in local politics for a long time. And that when you're in local state politics, which actually has a tremendous impact on everything from zoning for yeshiva to um, funding for yeshivas and day schools, security, uh, police, all kinds of other things, your property taxes. I know we're talking cloud efforts and cloud community efforts, but property taxes are a big deal. Those, all those things uh, uh, are local. And so you may not be in, in a swing state if you're in New York, New Jersey, we sort of know where that's going to go. Um, but uh, those other items are extremely important and pe things that people have to sort of pay attention to. And local elected officials, what, you know, their positions on issues and, and, and who, who they are, I think is really, really critical. And some people I know are very early voted. I know this because they've called me and said, well, I voted early. I don't know who all the other candidates were, but I knew who I was voting for president. And it's like, ah, ah it hurts your brain. So the, you know, we, we try to do that education. And the other thing, Michael, which I think is really important, and you and I have talked a lot about this, is that I'll just do it this way, Michael. Michael, true or false, can, can you find out if I voted this election year? Yes. Can you, can you find out? Or true. 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 Right. Do, do, can you find out who I voted for? No. Right. False. But, but Michael, I'm, what, I'm new at this true and false yeah. game. You know, we, we don't really operate that way in politics. Exactly. We're trying to we're trying, This is why I'm not on the show so often. We're trying to mix it up with spin class. True. What is that? Exactly. Exactly. So the, the Michael, but that's a big deal that you, you literally, um, you know, Michael Fragan or Maury Litwack can keep a list in our pocket and walk around the five towns or in Brooklyn or in Jersey or Lakewood, anywhere else. And we could say, you vote, you didn't vote. And, that blows people's minds. But this is really important, Michael, if you're in New York or New Jersey, the two states we're using, because you know, Michael, we have an election next year. There's going to be an election if New York City, there's going to be an election for mayor of New York City next year. There's going to be an election for governor of New Jersey next year. And I think it's extremely important that, that, that those off-year elections in New York, New Jersey, and there's going to be other races also. Politicians are going to be looking to see, well, how much do they vote at? Did they vote at 30% clip, 40% clip, 50% clip? And imagine if they saw that we voted 80, 90% clip. They're going to be in the community and they want to want to go after that vote. And I think that that's just extremely important for those states to realize that not only are the local and state candidates that you're doing this now, but politicians are looking at our communities and saying, well, how do they vote? And I think that we should be, be really telegraphing that we vote consistently. And the way I always compare it is, this, you know, there's the great, uh, you know, Shabbos Across America or the Shabbos Project. And those things, which is about the idea that everyone having experience in Shabbos, same mentally, like think, think 100% voting. And if you think like that, and the rumor on the street in political circles is these communities vote, all of Long Island votes at 100%. All of, of Teaneck or Lakewood votes at 100%. Michael, you, they're going to be knocking on our door, not the other way around. So what would you say to the people who just, they can't be bothered? They can't, they just say, oh, there's too much going on. I got, I got kids. I've got learning Seder. I've got, I got to go to shul. And, you know, voting itself doesn't rate as high on my priorities list right now. So it's funny. I got to go shopping. 
Right. So we did, we did an interview. Uh, we do, we're doing this big video series. We're running around, we're at different communities and we're meeting people, Rabunim and community leaders and talking to them about why they think voting is so important. And one person we met with uh, is actually a New Jersey elected official who lost by about 30 to 40 votes. And he goes through this litany of everything you just said, Michael, which is like, ah, I, get it. I was busy working. I was, I was, I was busy with the kids. I couldn't do it. Now this year, yeah, it's much harder to come up with those, those your busy excuses because there's mail and ballots. There's ways to get a hold of it. There's lots of things you could do. But I would say that the, 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 the number one message that we're spreading with people um, is this, this message, that, this, this term we coined called stop fetching, start voting. And the reason why we coined that is because um, we're really wanting, we really want people to understand that, that you, know, you fetching at something and saying that, man, I can't believe property taxes are so high. I can't believe they're not funding for yeshivas. I can't believe the shuls uh, don't receive X, Y, and Z. It's like, yeah, I, they, that's nice. That's, that's great to do on Shabbos in general. But you actually have an ability to send a message on how you feel about issues at the, poll, at the voting booth. And, and so, so you're you're rolling up your sleeves when it comes and representing the community when it comes to yeshiva advocacy, actually getting real dollars, real meaningful uh, assistance for the community. How important is it for your work? And I know this is a softball question. How important is it for your work that people in the community, all they got to do is vote. They don't even have to like do anything else. It's, it's, it's funny. So, so um I really believe that that when when we have the ability as advocates to go and say that our community votes and at record turnouts above the average, uh, uh, local and state elected officials and federal officials look at that and they say, well, what are these issues that they that, like? What do, what do they care about? What are the issues they care about? And and just like that's the way it works. That's the way politics works. That's the way elected officials. The num- Michael, what's the number one thing an elected official cares about? Money. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, getting elected, getting re-elected. <laughs> I had to. I had to. This is what you. That's a setup question, Maury. Getting, getting. I was, I was looking for getting, getting re-elected. I was looking for getting re-elected. The number one thing they care about is getting re-elected, and I think that the 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 your your vote is part and parcel of that. And if the community is perceived as ter- as strong turnout, it's critical. And I just think it has such massive ramifications. So if, for example, um, you're running statewide in a place like New York, you see this, this massive support coming out of popping out of Westchester and popping out of the east side and west side and, and Brooklyn. And it's like, whoa, what, what's going on here? And then you learn and find out that the from community is in those pockets and they're voting and they're getting active and they're getting engaged. Ah, you got to start paying attention. And it, it, it massively impacts our advocacy when that happens because we're not, we're not looking. It's like, it's like when you go out. Um, you know, when you're, you're, I would almost describe it as you're going out to war, you know, you're fighting and you're raising your voice on these issues. Michael, you and I have been to Albany together and we, and we, and we, we lament the fact that we look behind us, there's no one with us. So we, we, we can't have that. And so, so you're more powerful and you're more, I would also compare it to the following, which is that so many other major groups, when an AARP, okay, goes into to advocate they may not they may have two people there or three people there but they're representing all these seniors michael it's so clear that seniors vote on medicare or medicaid or other issues that they're voting on so it's similar for us we have to as advocates we've got to have that when we look behind there that's really there and that's the voting yeah okay maury last question for you 75 percent it's estimated of surveys will say put american jews jews will vote for joe biden 
Whereas at the same time, it's an estimated 75% or more, or predicted, I should say, of Orthodox Jews will pull the lever for Donald Trump. Now, that may be an exaggeration. It may be an understatement. Donnie Magazine has it 83%. Talk to me for a second about that shift and how, uh, what that means for the Orthodox community or what that means for the Jewish community. Right. So first, first, first off, the idea that, that we can get any sort of um, pinpoint accuracy on what the Jewish or, or albeit the from community thinks at a given moment. On it's a good point. These, 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 these polls have very small sample size. I would agree. They're, uh, yes. Yeah, it's, like, it's also, it's, it's um, you and I have, have disagreed on things. And then one of us has convinced the other one, like we're, we're, we're uh, we, we have debates as a people. Like that's what we do. And so it's amusing to me a little bit that we're like, they're like, oh, we find it, we figured it out. That's where. That's where they're right. Exactly. The, the, you know, so I think, look, I, I would say the following is, is that um, I, I think that that um, smart elected officials look at communities and they look at constituencies and they know that that um, on on particular years and particular issues, they're going to lean one way or another. I mean, that's just the case. But once the dusk settles, Michael, and the election is over, just as much responsibility as we had to vote, we have a, just as, an equal responsibility to go to both right and left and have con- conversations and meetings. And I think that to me, as I said, I said to somebody else, I said, I used to work before I worked in my current job, I worked for Miami-Dade County, and I'll, I'll never forget elected officials in Miami-Dade County looking at the vote before, before and saying, well, we think that the Cuban community is gonna vote this way, we think the Jewish community is gonna vote this way, we think the Haitian community is gonna vote this way, it's not just our community that the, the pundits and the elected officials and everybody else likes to look at and say, say it's not just unique to us, that sort of armchair analysis of, of, of are they gonna vote and lean this way or that way. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility to, to vote and, and, and it's all equally our responsibility that, and when the dust clears, which is gonna clear um, after election day for us to reach out to whomever is president, whomever is local and state, whether it's you're on the, whether they, that you voted for them or not, and it's their responsibility also to do that. And I think that if we are sort of there with our hand out, they're going to be there as well because elected officials are, 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 are never believe that everyone is just simply monolithically one way or another. And I think our community has done a stellar, stellar job for years. Um, you know, one of my friends is in the Hasidic world, and he said to me, you know, he said, Maury, 20 years ago, we our, our, our community only voted Democratic. And you remember these days, Michael, that they only, there was a perception they only voted there. Now the perception that this community only votes to the right. But they said, again, they said, they said, but people know, Maury, right, that after Election Day, we're, we're, we're happy to talk to everyone. And I said, yes, I think they still know. Engaged. And, and we have to make sure that engagement still happens. Right, right. Okay, Maury, very informative, very exciting. And I'm glad you brought up Miami, uh, Miami-Dade, because great example, a from- uh, city commissioner in Miami Beach was elected by two votes last year, or actually this year, I'm sorry. So that was uh, earlier this year. So two votes and that really, those two votes could make a difference. That could be you that does, that, uh, that makes the difference in a given election. Maury Litwack, OU, uh, uh, t- uh, OU Advocacy, uh, Teach Coalition founder and uh, a guy who's out there every day in the trenches fighting for our community. Thank you for joining us and uh, good luck in the post-election uh, uh, excitement. After we got it, we got it, we got it. We got to treat this like a Super Bowl, Michael. We got to treat this <laughs> like a Super Bowl. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, it is. The anticipation is unbelievable. So thank you for joining us here at Spin Class. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you.